0: Hi villains and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast and I must say I'm really really excited about this one because I'm delighted to be joined by Jacob Tanswell from uh, The Athletic uh, who's doing some absolute Trojan work over there and following or should I say in reporting on Aston Villa over the last following them around the country and through Europe is what I was going to say but mostly reporting on Aston Villa uh, this year uh, for The Athletic and firstly Jacob thank you so much for your time today and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I know we're going to get delve into the the tactical side of Villa and everything else. So yeah, as a geek myself, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I like it. I was calling, I used to call myself a geek about this stuff, about doing scouting series and things like that, and then I went, I don't know am I geek if I'm waking up at 3 o'clock most mornings to look after kids and then have nothing to do while trying to cradle them to sleep, so maybe I'm just being time efficient is what I'm trying to convince myself I am at the moment, as opposed to being geeky about it, Jacob, but uh, I'm really looking forward to delving into this, and and I'm going to title this this show Well, you guys will already have seen it if you clicked on the link, but I'm going to title this show The Complete Guide to Aston Villa's tactics with Jacob Tanswell. So, if you've fallen for the clickbait, it ain't my fault. Okay. That's a way. <laughs> Although we, <laughs> we will we will get into, I suppose, really the what I feel, I suppose, are the are the four key aspects. I think that, that Unai Emery has implemented since he's come in here. And, and and Jacob, it's it's really interesting because I think I think uh, Wolf, the uh, a, the Azed uh, left back probably summed it up as succinctly as, as I've heard it so far. And he said that we knew what was, is, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said, we knew it was coming and we couldn't stop it. And it was a case whereby, you know, they, they, they've they fallen victim, I suppose, of Aston Villa twice in, in such short succession. And he's had a hard night on both nights as well because of the way that Aston Villa play. And I think that that's really, uh, that, that was a real kind of, um, I think it's a compliment, I suppose, more so. It's probably the highest compliment that you could probably pay a team um, in a lot of aspects because if they were well-drilled and their manager is no more guy or, Pascal I, I, or uh, Jansen is a good, good manager as well, highly sought after, very techic, technic, technically and tactically astute. you know, But Una Emery has moulded this team into a nice little machine. And um, I think the biggest thing, I suppose, really, and we'll start off with, the, with, with this one, uh, Jacob, is that... I don't think anybody's ever mentioned anything about it, um, so this might be the first time anyone has ever spoken about this in the Nuna Emery team. But did you know that Aston Villa play a high line, Jacob? Did you did have you ever heard anyone mention yeah, that before?
1: It's not been covered very much. Um, people don't seem to talk about it. Well, the wider public, anyway. When uh, when Villa lose, biggest so, um, mm. when, when they win, it's some sort of mystery secret, isn't it? So um,
0: yeah, very high. But I think one of the biggest things is that, like the the, the high line is, it, it, to, to a lot of people as you said there, yes, it, it was spoken about in the aftermath of the of the Millennium forest game. And I suppose let's kind of use that as our template, I suppose, because that's the more. That that the way that Nottingham Forest kind of attacked us in in spaces with regards to Elanga being on that left wing and, and attacking Maddie Cash. I think that's the way most teams will do it, and that's when Fulham got their goal at the weekend as well. Um, you know, playing that ball over the top, hu- hugging Maddie Cash on the left hand side, and Raúl Jiménez, um, obviously going through the centre. So realistically speaking, I suppose that when when you see that that uh, I suppose that. Take or that uh, journalistic take afterwards. they've got oh, Villa's highline caught them out in, in that instance. Why do you think it is that nobody ever mentions that uh, that, that it's a well-drilled backline that can come up in unison, catch teams offside? We've caught teams offside more than any other team in Europe this season. Albeit Las Palmas, have, are the same as us, but have played two games more than us. Why do you think Villa don't get that kind of plaudits?
1: I think if unless you're covering Aston Villa. From a media standpoint, every week, you probably just watch highlights or you watch the goals they concede and you think, oof, it's risky. You probably don't look at the, you know, every occasion that Villa catches up on offside, you know, because it's within a game, very rarely do, as every journalist watch every single minute of, of a Villa game. Um, so you probably just look at one goal where it's malfunctioned and you think, ah, oh, this is rubbish. Let's watch match of the day. Look at, they're going to draw how much space there is and they're going to say how bad it is. I think you need to you need to understand the purpose of things. I think that's where where punditry and some journalists sometimes don't quite grasp it. They just look on the surface level and think that's not how it should be done mm. like this. But they don't ex- understand how Emery or the coach has got to that point of implementing the high line because I'm sure Emery Emery's not the type of guy that's thinking, oh, should we just do a high line? Like he's probably thought about it, but a bit deeper than that. Um, Sometimes I, I myself, I admit the Alkmaar game, I, I was sat next to um, John Townley from Birmingham Live, and I said, mm-hmm. sometimes can you can Villa just t- tailor the Kai line a little bit? Because I thought the only way Alkmaar are going to score is probably through the through the ball over the top. If Villa just a couple of yards back, I don't think they had the ingenuity to play thread it through, break the team down. Mm. I thought maybe sometimes you could tailor it a little bit, but. I guess if you do tailor then it might get a bit confusing and things like that and it doesn't quite work in the same rhythm um so i, I understand why why Villa do it i think it works really good but also it's also quite a good energy um saver as well because i know the defenders have got to recover and sprint back but dougs louise kamara whoever's in midfield's got less space to cover because the distance between the back line and the attacking uh, the, t- the attack's shorter everything's a lot more compact and teams can't play through you. and the only way they can do it is probably just long balls over top and Sometimes a deep run is it works, but if you have a center about like every Conte who's that quick and you have a sweeper like Emi Martinez, then that should really guard against it in theory.
0: Mm, yeah, and it's something the Villa have been doing is trying to guard, guard against that as well by Bubakar Kamara, the definition of his position. People who listen to the podcast will think that I probably. So I've often, I've gotten DMs to this fact that people have said to me, "You hone in on one point and you keep on saying it until it comes true." But I think that this is a very, very and, and look, I think everybody does that at sometimes. But this one I'm really, really passionate about, and this one I I, I feel is is so, so, so important to Unai Emery's um, tactical setup is the fact that uh, that Ubicar Kamara's role is becoming more and more and more defined and i think at the start of the season i think against against liverpool against against uh, well specifically against um against uh, against newcastle on the first day he was a bit roving he was maybe playing as another eight or a less disciplined six and going forward now we're seeing him push back and pull back into that right center back role um of a three when uh when we're in possession, and specifically when I suppose more so when we need to get back in and get into possession as well. Now it's a Superman's role to be able to play that, specifically if he is going to have to be in both waves of play. But he's getting more defined in, in, in that. And do you, uh, and am I right in saying that 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 kind of positioner that his his role is is very very pivotal to this uh, Unai Emery system?
1: Yeah, it is. And you, you look at Kamara from when he was at Marseille. He played as a centre back sometimes. Mm. He sometimes played in a back three. You know, not quite in the you know, hybrid role he is now. He was playing as an out-and-out centre-back, so he's, he's used to that. I think it also depends on on what Emery decides to do. He's, he's very clear. He's got two different build-up structures in a way. He's got the one where Kamara goes into that back three and the two wide outlets are uh, the two full-backs, are Cash and Luka Dean, or he plays another centre-half or puts Konzert right back, um, and then you have Leon Bailey um, out on that right wing and Conza would fill the space, Kamara would in the other build-up, and Kamara would then push into midfield. I think Emery's probably settled on Kamara push in that back three at the moment, because it gets John McGinn, you know, on the ball, a little bit deeper, he can drive with it. Tillemans as well, now he's, he's playing really well, he can probably fit into the system a bit more. Um, Cash is probably better higher up anyway. Um, he doesn't have to build the play from deep. Uh, and Luca Dean, it's like we've seen the last few games, he's getting so much space on that, out that left side. Emery's probably thinking when Moreno comes back, he's probably a little bit better dribbler, a bit more of a left winger than than Luca Dean in possession. It probably probably suits suits the team and the players within those positions a lot more. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE.
0: Uh, absolutely, looking forward to Alex Moreno coming back after the international break because uh, one of those things I suppose is that they are two completely different people in the in the way they like to deliver the ball. Obviously, Moreno likes to attack the box, likes to attack the byline. Luca Dean is is not somebody who likes to attack the byline for sure. He's a deep crosser and he's very very good at it. And we've gotten gotten lots of uh, lots of um, uh, good uh, occasions out of that this this year as well. And you mentioned something there about uh, um about the centre halves and stuff like that. Obviously, Tyrone Mings going down early in the season. You don't plan for that, but obviously you've got some sort of contingency. And Aston Villa are really well stacked in the centre back position, even now. I know long they came in to to um, to supplement the back line after Mings went down, but every centre centre back usage, I suppose. Do you think that the current usage we have at the moment between Europe and 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 uh, and the Premier League and so on? Do you think that has been forced upon him by Ming's injury, or do you think it was always really part of the plan to almost have a separate set for the group stage and for for the Premier
1: League? I think it's a little bit both. I think it was quite clear that tyro minks even with the addition of power torres would have still been Embry's first choice center half and you saw him pre-season um he trialed tried pal torres in that left back kind of role because he's still trying to uh sell luca Dean. luca dean at that point so he probably thought you know maybe we could we could play for power torres in that third center back but as a left back and then leon bailey or even Finagine wasn't it breezy a little bit further forward um but obviously minks injury meant that you know Emery doesn't trust or doesn't want Callum Chambers as the first fourth choice centre back. So we needed Longley. I was, I was quite surprised they went with Longley because he's the same basically the same player as Paul Torres, just a little bit worse. Um I thought they might get go for some a little bit quicker or something a bit more defined. You know, Longley's a bit all, bit more of an all-round place, not good at one thing. Um, but I think it's kind of worked out perfectly that they've got two different groups, like you say. But Diego Carlos is probably the closest in terms of, you know, we just spoke at the build structure just before. If he comes in, that means Collins will shift to right back and then the things everything above it and Kamara will, will change, you know, will go midfield. Um, so I think they've got a real good pool of centre backs and it's probably one one of the strongest areas in, in terms of depth. So it's it makes makes sense really tough to sort of to rotate because they're all top centre backs, aren't they? With pedigree.
0: Mm, absolutely. And that's exactly it. That was gonna be my next point. All of them are well. By the time this comes out, most people will know that Ezra Kanza has now been, uh, um, is now in the the English squad, and congratulations to him for that. And hopefully he gets capped uh, on this uh, on this this, this upcoming uh, run of games. Far too late for him to be called up, but better late than never, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Pau Torres in there and, and 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 Diego Carlos and, and Longley as well. And, and for me, I think, you know, even when you think about when Tyrone Mings comes in there, there's a real leadership group within that, that. There's a mini leadership group within there because all of those guys... Put it this way, I wouldn't like to have to stand up to those guys and tell them they were wrong in a dark, in a poorly lit uh, bar at any stage because I think they put manners on you very, very quickly, specifically Diego Carlos, I'd imagine. But um, I think as well, when we look at... Well, we've spoken a good bit about the defence there and I suppose the highline as well, but I think one of the, the traits of Unai Emery's team so far, with or Aston Villa so far, has been how fluid our attack has been. We haven't had, a, had an attack this fluid since... Probably since Brian little I would say maybe going back that far when um when we were winning the league cup, and even at that stage you know that was just the way English football was played it was end to end stuff with uh, with full backs and overlapping fullbacks and trying to get your you know your midfield into it so in the in the modern age of football, I think it's even more um impressive i suppose the way that Aston Villa are what are we, second-highest goal scorers in the the league, I think, at the moment. Um, Just looking at where the highest... Oh, yeah, second-highest after Man Man City. And uh, on 29 goals, having such a good record of scoring goals at home uh, in the Premier League as well. Talk to me a small bit about the transitional play in in attack, because for me, I see it as kind of a W, and I see that it's, once again, I think what Muno Wolf said, you kind of know what's going to happen, but it's very difficult to to, to uh, stop it because the players are so good at it. Is, yeah. is what's your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because the film game yeah, yesterday um, on on Sunday, the first fifteen minutes of the second half for Fulham were pretty poor, weren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I I never panicked or thought this is pretty poor. Um, or I just thought, you know, they they're kind of doing it. Just baiting Fulham in, and at some point they're going to counter. And, and when they do counter, probably the first time they'll count, they'll, they'll score. Um, Leo Bailey comes on within two seconds, he's got an assist. Um, it's very much you know, I know it came from a corner, but they do like to soak, and they've got these midfielders. You know, Tillamans has started to do it as well now, where they win the ball back and it goes into Louise or McGinn or Tillamans and that first pass is all out under pressure, is always forward to so one of their runners, yeah. uh, you know, DRB or or Bailey, who drive the ball. Watkins, goal scorer number nine, gets in the box, goal. Um, and it happens quite a lot. And you know, there, Emory's always been quite a transitional um, coach. I think he's been unfairly, you know, malign at times at previous clubs in terms of being you know, part of the bus. See, back when that's that couldn't be further from the truth, it's just because he's very good at he wants transitions, he try he pro, he. Kind of creates generates transition because he wants to win the ball deep uh, sometimes so um yeah I, th- I think it just gives a different strength to the bow and like i say you could serve energy levels as well if you keep the high line but at the same time you see possession you don't quite go press from the front you win the ball back and then bang you know there you go you're you're away and you're capitalizing on the space left
0: and it's, it is important. I think it works well. That was going to be my next point as well. What I've seen is I think it works well with the high line because the spacing between midfield and the back line is very important, specifically the sixes slash eights, the the Douglas Louises, the, the Bubacar Camaras, really. And we see that as well. We see that when Pau Torres gets the ball and the triangles we can play, trying to draw people into the middle. You yeah. mentioned there that Villa were quite poor in the first 15 minutes. I think that when Villa go out to play, specifically in an attacking point of view, I think I have a theory and it's the closest thing can, to, to, to a theory I think I'll ever have. I think the Villa have scripted moves and the way that they move up the field at times, I think, can be scripted. And ball dominant teams should be like that. If I was, if I was a top class manager and I wanted I my team to be ball dominant, I would think it would be crazy not to have the first five, ten minutes uh, mapped out in my mind. If we get the ball, this is what we want to do. We want to suck them into these areas to see where, see where the, the weakness is. You know, suck them into these areas. Try this way. Okay, that's not working. Let's regroup, but be patient. And we see you and I, Emery, on, this, on the line the whole time, shouting for patience, 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 to try and find where the hole is going to be. So my theory is that the first 10-15 minutes of games, at times, are actually scripted in Villa's mind that this is these are the areas we're going to attack. Sometimes it doesn't work, and then sometimes it does. But the reason that I'm I'm, I'm mentioning that to you is it puts an awful lot of pressure on the likes of Douglas Luiz, who for me is a top. I'm going to say it I'm going to say a top three midfielder in the Premier League at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um he's that good. Um if the worst was to happen and Douglas Luiz was to decide in January guys had enough want to move. I don't know I don't know how we would replace him within this within this team at the moment. Am I being hyperbolic or is do
1: you feel the same that he holds that weight within this midfield? Yeah, he does, and that's why Emery's so de- uh, call him Emery so to corner Emory Emery phrase, demanding of him because he mm. just absolutely everything. Even when they're winning, even when Douglas Luiz is playing well, he's screaming at him. You know, I was at the, at, the Stam- at Stanford Bridge when Villa won. I'm sat three or four rows above Emery and the whole time, like there's no other play. He's just screaming at Luis. Luis comes back, but he's telling Louise because he knows that Luis can change the game in terms of he can just keep keep the ball, take that extra touch, he can slow it down, he can win the ball. He's he's so central to everything. But like all good coaches, they if Luis did go, I'm sure a lot more than 60 million, like it's been reported in some people yeah. in some places Um He'll just adapt. He'll change the way they play. There'll be less of an emphasis on the centre midfielders. He might not go for a double pivot with Kamara and and another play. He might then, you know, move it into a 4-3-3. He might get McGinn a little bit deeper. He might buy a player who who is experienced, not quite the same as Luis, but got similar characteristics. I think there's there's certain things. I, I you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Luis does go next summer. You know, we don't like to talk about the elephant in the room, but FFP is still a live aspect. Mm is one of the most valuable players in the squads and I'm sure that Villa have got you know a recruitment team now set with Monchi and Emery and Vidagani where they're probably already eyeing up the next target so yeah you know Louise is so so important such uh, you know incredible footballer but these managers top top managers they know how to adapt they know how to change the style and you never know. It could be that the fact that Paul Torres starts to come a little bit more direct, misses out, you know, midfield and starts to play channel balls or whatever. It is. There's certain little nuances that can completely compensate for for Luis.
0: Yeah, and and, and I think like a lot of people say that, oh, do Villa have a plan B? I'm beginning to hear that a small little bit recently. Do Villa have a plan B? And, and I'm a bit poo-poo ish of that, and I I kind of dismiss it a small little bit. Because I do I know I think the Villa do have a plan B yeah. um, for sure. It's not as apparent, but you can see that they do tweak and change tactics even when like Zaniola the way Villa play with Zaniolo on the field and the way Villa play with Neon Bailey in the field are the field are diff, they're different the way that they build up because they're different types of players. And and they obviously we play three at the back sometimes we play four at the back and, and there are differences as well there from the plan A and plan B. And and uh, I would I would expect nothing less from 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 Unai Emery uh, in that aspect, but another area I think that Aston Villa have, I suppose it's a it's it's a big talking point I suppose with the, amongst the Aston Villa fans are set pieces in general uh, with Aston Villa. You know I think that we've probably been the most creative with our set pieces this year than we have probably since I've since I've been following Aston Villa. There's been some real, um, you know, very much training ground kind of situations. Um, I'm absolutely blanking on a goal we've scored from, from a set piece right now, to give, a, give an example. But we've had some weird and wonderful set pieces, which I think have been really, really good. Yeah. Um, where do you think the set pieces fit in with uh, with, with, Unai, it, with Unai Emery's overall, I suppose, vision for the team? Or are they an interesting wrinkle that's brought by Austin McPhee um, to the table?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that Emery's done a lot better um, this time around than Arsenal is probably delegate a little bit more. He, he's got this obviously close, close Spanish circle of coaches and, and people around the club, and I think it's testament. It speaks volumes that he's decided to keep Austin McPhee. He obviously sees huge value in him. You know, Austin McPhee, he's not alone. He's got he's got a coach with him that helps him with set plays. And you think how much detail that must take for two two guys their full-time job is to analyze their ball situations it's, it's mm. pretty remarkable um you saw it the other day i think one of the first half corners dougs Lewis got picked the ball up and put it both in his um put put the ball above his head it's that type of sign that they work on religiously uh Matikash says they introduced four or five before every single game and these are meticulously drilled these are looked at trying to design to expose the weakness of the other team uh emery obviously has a say in it but i asked emery about this and he said 80% of it is McPhee, 20% is him. Um, so I think that kind of gives you a good understanding of the balance between both. Um, but there's times this time where Emery probably doesn't looks at one of the plans and thinks I don't want to do that. That doesn't give me the type of control I want, um, and he'll veto it. You know, you saw the other uh, yesterday actually. Indeed, they had a free kick in the attack in half, and I think that they were designed to go long. But Emery said, no, we're going to play short. We want to get a bit, bit more control in this first half. And that's probably his decision. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome he's obviously doing very well. And I do think more goals will come from it. They, I think Diego, Diego Carlos scored against Alchemar from mm-hmm. Yes, so, uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised if, come the end of the season, they're in the top top six, top seven for, for goals scored from set plays.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and actually, that's, that's a good game to actually highlight because... Leon Bailey took a lot of the corners from the, yeah. from Villa's right, Alkmaar's left, and usually that would be John McGinn's uh, purview would be to take corners from there, or uh, you know, A and Other would, would take corners from there, But Lee, and I thought Leon Bailey's delivery was really good, I thought it was it was really consistent as in, he went to the same spot nine times out of ten, and that was interesting, because obviously there's nobody getting the ball from our left-hand side from an in-swinging corner there, Douglas Luiz is taking the corners from our left-hand side uh, whenever they go there, and we know what he can do. He can ping him in the back of the net, essentially, from from that side as well. So it's it's good that, that we have that variation and um keeps teams guessing as well. I really I think it does. Even though sometimes we don't score. Nine times out of ten, we don't score, uh, but I do. Th- I do think it t- it keeps teams guessing. Very last piece, and just because you mentioned it there a moment, and I didn't send it to you as a question, I might I might ask you a moment ago. The structure. Um, I don't think there's probably anyone better tasked than yourself because you've been in and around. Uh, you know, obviously Unai Emery, and and you get to go at the games so and you get to see interactions of people. That structure that he's brought in. Obviously, uh, Johan Lange is gone. Uh, Leith is gone, and um, it's Manchi, Uh, Viragani, um and uh, and Unai Emery in there now, along with, um, the, the beneath, um can't, can't think of his name, uh, the other person that, that Unai Emery brought in there, that structure is very much entrenched uh, in the Unai Emery and the Manchi way. Is that something that you always felt was going to happen when these guys came in uh, over the course of the summer? Was there murmuring so that would all happen? Or has it, I'm trying to suppose, look for a bit of a salacious piece, was it a power struggle at
1: any stage? Do you ever get that feeling? Uh, I, I think it's natural that, you know, Emery's a coach as as a, as Villa said in, in an interview, he said he said to me he's learned from Arsenal. And at Arsenal he found that sometimes everything was in his control. Because Emery's is a manager that is fo- completely football, doesn't care, doesn't know about anything else, else outside the immediate bubble. That's why he needs the guys that he trusts and relies on that. Won't you know? I'm not saying stabbing the back, but they know how he works and they know what he wants. So at Arsenal, he didn't really have that, you know. He, and that's why I was quite surprised when he did get sacked. He thought, hold on, I thought everyone's going in the same direction. uh He brought obviously Monchi and vidigali and Monchi this high-level operator, very well-known renowned within Europe. He'll want his guys in. You know, he's not he's he's got a very distinct way of working. You know, whenever new people come in, a new regime comes in. The the old the older people, all the people that are in in the structure either got a dat or quite rightly, they think actually it's this this new way of work is not for me. I'm good enough to get another job, and I will do it. And that's obviously what Rob McKenzie's done. Um, completely different ways of working. They're targeting different players as well. It's all these different ideas, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's not so much a power struggle. it's more that they don't want to move in one direction, and that is to give Emery all the tools he they possibly can to make sure he's, he's successful, and they keep up pace with him because he's ambitious. You know, he likes to talk about. You know, not, we don't want to get top. We're not a top seven club our t- targets are great. yeah we all know he is desperate to get into european league champions league he wants to do it quickly he's not going to be hanging around trying to go from ninth to eight to seven to six he wants to get there quickly and the way to fast track it and to catch up is has got to have the guys he knows in there to push obviously it's a risk because if all of a sudden finna lose 10 in a row and he gets sacked Uh uh-oh, there's a massive hole that's going to be left because of all the people we've brought in. At the same time, this probably gives them the best chance of success and immediate success. So, yeah, I don't see it as a problem at all as long as Villa keep doubling down on Project Henry, so to speak. Yeah,
0: And one last question for you before I leave you because you mentioned Project Emery there and obviously there's, an, there's a project at a higher level as well with vSports uh, it seems like, there was a time there last week where you opened up the, uh, a Twitter and there was a, a spurious link to to Aston Villa taking over two clubs, and not taking over we're getting into partnership with two other clubs, one being Real Unión, um, Una Emery's club that he owns, so the Emery family own uh, in Spain, the Spanish third division, and then Correct me if I'm wrong or if you've heard any, anything like this, but I've seen it on Twitter and I don't know whether it's real or not. So I suppose I'm really asking you, is it real? That Algerian club whose name um, I can't pronounce as well, there's an Algerian club that um, Aston Villa were, were linked with forming a partnership as well. Where are, are, do, do you know anything of where we are with those or where the club is with, with, with those partnerships? And um, I suppose is that a signal that there are more to come?
1: yeah in terms of the first link with obviously the emery link that, that that is true it's it's obviously discussions have been going on um in terms of everything else um it's quite well known that they even admit themselves they've been looking at clubs across different continents you know they want to grow different uh styles of play different background players um they want to become a real rounded multi-club or you know model or f- or partnerships uh there's no point uh, getting into partnership with the two clubs in in Spain or Portugal because they're basically producing the same type of player so it's important that they cast the net as, as far as they can. Um obviously the yeah, Emery link is is quite clear what why that's happening. But also I think because of the close relationship between Emery and his brother and Aston Villa they Villa probably have a, or v Sports probably has a better idea of what they're getting themselves into as well. Um, so yeah that, that's obviously the, the long and, and long and short of it. Um the, yeah they've, they've obviously got another club in in japan as well so they're opening up all these different markets and this is not going to be something that you'll see immediate success from in, in two three four years it's going to be yeah. longer and i think essentially they want to make sure that villa can sustain themselves and if they can sustain themselves through other clubs that within the umbrella then that's absolutely fine yeah and
0: that other club i had to google it there because it would have would have rotted my brain for the rest of the evening it's meludia club d'Algier, one of the most prominent clubs in algeria and um, also, I have uh, entered a partnership with Aston Villa as well. And they're actually a funny club, a funny club from the point of view of uh, not funny at all, actually, but an interesting <laughs> club because they're like Aston Villa. They too won the, the, European, the African version of the European Cup uh, back in the late 70s as well and have been prominent within the league but seem to be a bit of a sleeping joint within Algerian football uh, previously as well. So uh, I did a bit of reading up on them but uh, their name did escape me. So once again, and Algeria seems to be a hotbed for footballers. North Africa seems to be a real hotbed for football at the moment. The Under-17 World Cup is on at the minute. Uh, I was watching a bit of it uh, today and um, yeah, uh, I was reading up a bit about uh, about some players from that part of the world that uh, could hit the highlights uh, really soon. Um, apparently, Barcelona are doing Trojan work in scouting areas like Mali and f- find that Mali might actually be... Uh, um, finding yeah. hotbed uh, in the near future as well. So that was something I found as well. albeit Mali is exactly I feel, not. I feel I've actually
1: bought um or got three three Somalian kids into the academy as well. So you've got all these different yeah different hotbeds of talent that um yeah are going into Europe and I think it's really exciting, isn't it? Just and um, purely because it will influence probably how how football is and the different styles and 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 players that come across in the next couple of decades as well
0: absolutely yeah yeah the more the merrier you know there is I could have been the next Pele only I wasn't nurtured that's what I always say to him I still have the potential but uh, I don't think it'll ever be unlocked and that's the same for anybody else out there you know and there could be the kid out there that never gets his chance but that's why casting your net um wide has, has has the has the best potential I think for sure Jacob thank you so much for joining me today I really really appreciate it um, really appreciate all the work you do with with, uh, with Aston Villa for the Athletic and you know uh, there's probably going to be be thousands of people out there that listen to this uh that are kind of going oh, i want his job i'd love to have his job so uh you know fair play to you you're doing a really good job it's difficult to come in after greg did such a good job but you know i hope greg won't, won't mind me saying this but i think you know as everybody does when they come into a role they try to elevate it and i definitely think that you've done that in your way as well so thank you so much for all your coverage and uh, no. that you do uh, for aston villa
1: no i really appreciate it. it's been honestly the, the reception and, and the feedback I've I've had has blown me away to be honest. I think it's always easier when a when a team's winning. So I, I kinda of put it down to that, but and the feel-good factor, but yeah, I really appreciate it, and I think there's a lot of I've got a lot of big plans and things that I want to do in the next couple of months that I've not had the chance to yet. So um yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how the season goes and, and what else happens really.
0: Absolutely, and we're looking forward to seeing what you what what you bring uh, to the table over the next few months as well. Looking forward to those ideas. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Everybody, go get on the Athletic. You know, the, if you're Athletic, have some of the best articles, the best, the really measured articles. Uh, put it this way, I joked about clickbait at the start of the at the start of the podcast. You won't get much of that on the Athletic anyway. And that's why I love it, and that's why I pay the subscription for it, and um, because it's uh, it's nice, it's nice reading, and it's a well thought out reading as well. So, um, if anybody there is thinking of getting that somebody you love, something nice for Christmas, maybe a subscription to The Athletic might be something uh, that might go down well in your household. But Jacob, thanks again once a minute. A- uh, thanks a-, a million once again, should I say, for your time. And uh yeah, everybody else out there, thank you so much for your time as well. And we'll be back again very soon. I don't know when this podcast is going to go out. So I'm going to be very honest. We'll be back again very soon with another podcast. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. And all that's left to say is up the villa.